Good evening and welcome to episode 90 of Mystery Murder and Mayhem. And this is actually the last episode for Mystery Murder and Mayhem for the year. Of course, there will be a What the Friday this coming Friday, but you know what I mean. This is the last one for the one with the three M's. But anyway, I hope your Christmas was everything that you wanted it to be. Ours was great. We celebrated on a much smaller scale than we normally do. So that was less stress. Santa Claus didn't bring me the new chair that I wanted for my desk. So as I'm sitting here, I'm slowly sinking. But anyway, I'll get one sooner or later. Anyway, let's get on with tonight's episode. So if you're a fan of American Horror Story like me, you know that the first season was called Murder House. And it featured this beautiful mansion. And that mansion was designed, and it was truly a masterpiece, but it was designed by an architect named Alfred Rosenheim, and it's located in Los Angeles. Well, tonight I'm not going to be talking about that particular murder house, but instead I'm going to be talking about several actual murder houses, so stick around. So like I said, I'm going to be talking about several real murder houses tonight. And the first one that I'm going to talk about is located in Boise, Idaho. It's on West Linden Street. Now, if you were to drive past it, not knowing that it has a tragic story, it honestly wouldn't be hard to guess that maybe something bad had happened there. Because now all the windows are broken out and they've been boarded up. There's trash all over the yard. Soot covers the exterior walls, and it's basically a big abandoned mess. The house itself is two stories and has just over 2,700 square feet of space, and it's what they call the Craftsman-style house. And this house goes by two different names. One is the Boise Murder House, and another name for it is the Chop Chop House. With a name like chop chop house it's kind of easy to assume what might have happened there in the wee early morning hours of june 30th 1987 21 year old preston murr was murdered in the basement of that house by daniel rogers and darren cox and according to court documents a fight had broken out between the three men sometime around midnight well preston he was first shot in the shoulder by one of those men. He was able to run from the house to a neighboring house where he banged on the door begging for help, but no one answered. But the owner of the house, he did call the police because he had heard the banging and he also heard someone, which turned out to be Preston, yelling, let go of me, followed by a distressing scream. Well, that neighbor peeked out the window in time to see someone chasing Preston, then dragging him back to the house where the fight started. Once Rogers and Cox had Preston back at the house, 
They took him to the basement where he was mortally wounded by a shot to the back of the head. And get this, the cops never showed up that night when the neighbor had first called them. But the next morning, when the neighbor found blood on his front door, he called them again. And this time they did respond. The door wasn't the only place that blood was found, though. Police found a trail of blood throughout the neighborhood, including on at least one other house. So, why is it called the Chop Chop House? Well, after the fatal shot was fired, Rogers and Cox proceeded to dismember Preston's body. Daniel Rogers was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Darren Cox cooperated with the police and was only charged with being an accomplice to the murder, and he served a six-year sentence. But since that murder, strange things have been reported to have happened in that house. Many who have lived in the house have said that something doesn't, it just didn't sit right with them about the house. And at one time, the house was used as a frat house, and fraternity brothers living there reported seeing blood drip down the walls in the basement. And one family that toured the home when they were thinking about buying it said they just couldn't buy that house because it just had these creepy vibes. Another story told about the house says that someone who had actually bought the house and one of his friends heard what they thought was someone trying to break into the house. They went out on the front porch to take a look, but nobody was there. They continued looking around the front yard, and when one of the men turned around to go back into the house, he saw what he described as a black, oily-looking thing in the window of one of the upstairs bedrooms. Then he saw a shadow-type figure move away from the window. It doesn't end there, either. Next, he watched that ball of oily blackness uh, that he had described earlier it moved down one of the columns on the front porch and then it proceeded to actually move through him but get this others who have lived there say they never experienced any type of paranormal activity so I, that's just kind of weird i guess maybe whatever is going on there just kind of picks and chooses who it messes with but anyway we're going to move on to our next house and the next house that I'm going to talk about was the inspiration for the murder house season of American Horror Story and it's the Feliz murder house in Los Angeles but it's not the house that was actually used on the series this house is a Spanish revival style home and it has five bedrooms and four bathrooms and what happened there is quite horrifying the home in 1959 was owned by a very successful cardiologist named Dr. Harold Perelson. On the night of December the 6th, 1959, Dr. Perelson bludgeoned his wife to death with a hammer and then beat their 18-year-old daughter, Judy. Now, Judy was able to escape, and she ran to a neighbor's home for help. That neighbor called the police, then went over to the Perelson's house and found two other children unharmed. So that neighbor sent them outside. After the kids were outside, the neighbor went upstairs to find Dr. Perelson walking around, dripping blood, and he seemed to be in the 
very disturbed frame of mind. And Dr. Perelson told that neighbor to leave. And once the neighbor left, he drank a potion of acid, water, and tranquilizers, laid down on the floor next to Judy's bed, and he passed away. And there's been a lot of speculation about what could have caused a successful doctor to just attack his family like that. And one of those theories says that he was facing some financial issues. But like I said, that was speculation. And Dr. Perelson, he took that motive to the grave with him. Well, after that, the house sat empty for the next 50 years, even though it had been sold to a couple through a probate auction the following year. And the people who bought it then apparently only used it for basically storage, and they never spent one single night in that house, according to the neighbors. And that couple's son inherited the house in 1994 when his parents died, but he never stayed in the house either. Neither he nor his parents ever even changed anything about the house and left the Perelson's decor untouched, including the Christmas tree that was up when Dr. Perelson killed his wife and himself. Well, curious folks would peer through the windows to see that that Christmas tree still up with wrapped gifts, uh, gifts underneath that. And all of the furniture is still there. Although it's covered like with a thick layer of, of dust, of course. And there's even a television from the 1950s still in the family entertainment room. And the house has been visited by its share of trespassers, too. And one of those trespassers says that the house is indeed haunted. But no ghost stories have really been shared from their experiences there. Not that I could find anyway. But um, I'm sure that it's very energy is just very negative considering what happened there well now y'all we can't talk about murder houses without talking about the amityville horror house in amityville new york which sits on ocean avenue there and i can remember watching the original movie about this house back when i was a little kid and i swear the memories of that movie they just still creep me out to this day this house if you have seen the movie, you know it's like a, a five-bedroom, four-bathroom house, and it's a Dutch colonial-style house. And the events that have taken place within its walls are truly horrifying. So it was a fall morning, November 3rd, or 13th, sorry, 1974 to be exact. Ronald Defoe Jr., better known as Butch, he woke up around 3 a.m., grabbed a rifle, and basically annihilates his entire family, which consisted of both of his parents, two sisters and two brothers. And they were all found lying face down on their beds. And over the years, it's been speculated that Butch had to have an accomplice, but that's never been proven. Here's a book that was written in 2002, and it was written by Rick Osuna, and it's called The Night the Defoe's Died reinvestigating the Amityville murders. In that book, Osuna has a theory that he thinks that it was truly Butch's 18-year-old sister, Dawn, who killed the younger siblings, and then Butch killed her and their parents after he witnessed the murders that she had committed. And one thing that he says inspires that theory is the fact that Dawn wanted to move to Florida with her boyfriend, but her parents didn't approve of that. And on top of that, 
He talks about a song that Dawn had written sometime before the murders called The Night the Defoes Died. And in that song, she fantasizes about the death of her family. So, as you can see, there's like some disagreement on what truly happened the night that the family was murdered. Well, anyway, after the murders, the house was then bought by the Lutz family in December of 1975. But, y'all, they didn't even live in that house for an entire month. Now, the Lutz family consisted of the mom. Her name was Kathy. She had three children from a previous marriage named Daniel, Christopher, and Missy, and her new husband, George. Well, not all long after they moved into that house, they started reporting odd things going on. The mom, Kathy, said that she levitated. She saw red glowing eyes. And on top of that, she started having nightmares about the murder. George would be woken up by weird noises around 3.15 in the morning, which happened to be around the time that the murders had taken place. And the little sister, Missy, she suddenly had an imaginary friend. Well, the family agreed that most of the paranormal activity that took place in the house mirrored the murders. Plus, there were these cold drafts, odd smells, and objects that moved on their own. And they even called a priest in, and he said that he clearly heard a voice telling him to get out. Well, you know, there's skeptics that live amongst us, and they claim that the Lutz family was just merely trying to profit from experiences that they had made up after a book written by Jay Anson was made into a movie in 1979. Kathy and George are deceased now, but Danny, who is now 56, but was 10 at the time, that the family had lived in that house, he claims that everything that his family said is true. He swears that he saw furniture moving around on their own. Strange voices would whisper to him, and at one time, he became possessed. And this, my friends, is why this movie still bothers me to this day. I don't think I was like seven when it came out, so I'm not sure if my parents actually allowed me to watch it, but I'm sure somebody, or I sure wish somebody had stopped me from watching it. Now, there's a mansion that sits in northwestern Washington, D.C., and it's the scene of a grisly murder spree that took place in 2015. It was owned by the Savopolis family. 46-year-old Savas, who was a prominent businessman, his wife, 47-year-old Amy, their son Philip, and their housekeeper named Vera, they were all killed there after being held hostage for 19 hours. The rampage started on May 13th with 10-year-old son Philip being tortured in an effort to extort $40,000 from the family. Fortunately, the Sophopolis teenage daughters were not home when this took place. And the person who had done this to them restrained them with duct tape, killed them, and then set the house on fire. I guess trying to destroy any evidence. Well, firefighters arrived at the house, and as they were battling to extinguish the fire, they found the bodies of the family and their housekeeper. And as they pulled their bodies from the flames, they saw that they had not died from the fire itself, but they had been bludgeoned and stabbed to death before that fire was set. So the house quickly went from the scene of a fire to a crime scene. 
apparently at some point during the hostage situation, Savas had been had his personal assistant deliver the forty thousand dollars in cash to the home before the fire was set. And the perpetrators had also gotten away with Amy's Porsche 911 because it was found later that afternoon burning in a church parking lot in Maryland. Back at the scene of the house when the fire was out, investigators found pizza crust. Two pizzas had been delivered during the crime, and it was an uneaten pizza crust that investigators were able to get DNA from, and that led them to their suspect, 34-year-old Darren Went. Went had been raised in Guyana, and he moved to Maryland in the year 2000. He had a criminal record that included theft, assault, sexual offenses, and burglary. So yeah, you know, he should have probably still been in prison, in my opinion. But anyway, Wynn actually lived in an apartment complex that was close to where Amy's Porsche had been found burning. And at his trial, he was found guilty of 20 felony counts, including murder, kidnapping, extortion, and arson. And he received four consecutive life sentences. Now, of course, there's been a ton of other murder houses out there. And there's the Dahmer house where Jeffrey Dahmer carried out his crimes in Akron, Ohio. The Ramsey home in Boulder, Colorado, where little John Bonet was murdered on Christmas of 1996. The Manson house where Charles Manson killed two cult members in 1969. And the Versace house at Miami Beach where Andrew Cunanan gunned down Italian fashion designer Gianni Versace in 1997. But that's all I have time to talk about tonight. Now make sure you come back on Friday night for the final Weather Friday of 2022 and on Saturday afternoon the entire series on what I've done so far on the Murdo Murdoch, I cannot talk today Murdoch fiasco here in South Carolina it's going to replay in its entirety at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's about an hour and a half long, so fix you a snack and use the bathroom before you start it. Oh, and one quick update on that Murdoch case. Prosecutors have decided to not pursue the death penalty in the trial for the uh, murders of his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. But um, they are going to go after... A sentence of life without parole if he's found guilty of those charges and that was announced on December the 20th now that trial is scheduled to start on January 23rd of next year and I really can't wait and of course I'm gonna be bringing you updates from that okay y'all that's all that I've got for tonight have a good week and I'll be talking to y'all again on Friday night